welcome to Conversations About Life. Well, thank you, David, for being a guest to my podcast. I'm looking forward to talking with you. And I'll just try to introduce you. I know a little bit about you. You're an Orthodox Jewish man who lives in uh, South St. Louis, and you work um, in tech, if I remember right, with a company um, helping them with their technical stuff. Is that right? Correct. Yes. I uh, First of all, thank you very much for having me. Uh, I feel honored and privileged to be here. Um, I work for the Hindu Institute as their tech, um, quote-unquote, guru, so to speak. Not really guru, but um, I do tech work for them. And the Hinda Institute, I've been working to defend them. They're out in Chicago area, okay. Illinois, and uh, I've been there for about two, three years. Two or three years, okay. All right. And I know you lived, have lived in Israel for a time, but um, where did you uh, grow up at? Okay, so I was born in Brooklyn, New York. Okay. Small town, Brooklyn, New York. Mm-hmm. And when I was 11 years old, my parents moved to Israel. Okay. And they were nice enough to take me. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate <laughs> that, yes. And uh, so basically from 11 years old, I grew up as a kid, as a teenager, got married, lived there. And uh, for 29 years, basically, I was living there. You know, I, I also went out of the country for about a year or two to live outside, but mainly I was living... T- for the majority, like 29 years I was in Israel. Wow, until close to 40, I guess. Yeah, until 40, right. And then year 2000, after my divorce, I moved to St. Louis, Okay. and here I am. Okay, so that's what took you from Israel to St. Louis, or right. happened at the same, around right. at that same time and stuff. That's right. It was a divorce, and I was looking for a different work, and I had a friend who lived in St. Louis, and he said, come by, I'll help you out. I came, and he helped me out. I got a job, and I was living here. And so it, it seems like most of your life has been in Israel then. So it's almost like you're more an Israeli man <laughs> than an American man in some ways, it seems like. Yeah, but I, by, but by today's you know, 2024... I would say it's kind of even. It's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, my growing up, my years as a as a teenager, as a kid, as a teenager, you know, that that's all I knew was Israel. Yeah. I spoke ninety percent Hebrew and just a few percent English. Right. In fact, since fifth grade, I did not learn English officially. Okay, fifth grade. Okay. Right, that's when I left America, and in Israel, everything was in Hebrew. Right. Right. Um, oh, you, oh, that out there. Yeah, we'll just have to pick up some of that St. Louis City noise, background noise. <laughs> um, well, what is Israel like um, as far as the culture? I know this is just a real broad uh, question. You know, as comparison with the United States... Um, just, you know, what's it like living there and um, the people and so forth? Well, you're right about that. It's a broad question. <laughs> yes, yeah. 
And it's very different when I lived there as a teenager and today. Is it? Okay. Very different. Um, let, let's say this. I mean, I'll tell you as a, as a kid, right? The first thing I immediately felt the difference as culture-wise is that I could go out of the house without somebody watching me. Growing up in Brooklyn, I was never allowed to leave the house unless my parents knew exactly where I was going, to what time, to where, and and that was limited, and everything had to be organized and arranged. Mm-hmm. I went there, and I wanted to go outside. My mom said, just be, when it gets dark, be, be home. Right. <laughs> right. There was, like, there was no fear. There was no uh, anxiety. Like It was just freedom to roam and go about. That was just... That's something which I did not know as a kid, so that was, so it was very exploring, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing, even later years, you know, growing up, having a family, having kids, my neighbors, right in the building where I lived, the kids would go to come to my house. My kids would go to their house, like in America, it's customary in many communities. Call, make an appointment. Okay, it's okay. Here they just knock on the door and just walk right in, mm-hmm. right? Because we didn't lock our doors. Mm-hmm. So they would just knock and walk right in and just play, is, you know, you know, is, is so-and-so here to play with? Yeah. And they would come play. Mm-hmm. It was a very, it was like a very large family. So it was hmm. very, um, again, it also depends where you live and at the time, this is at the time, this is back in the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. That's how it was. Um, today, like I said, I've been away from the country since 2000. I've been back for a visit, but still it's not the same. In what ways is it different today? Oh, that's, that's what I'm saying. I don't know. Oh, you don't know? I, I'm, not, I'm not living there. I mean, especially since after October 7th. So right. the unity is just overwhelming. Literally, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that as mm-hmm. literally like it's so amazing, so open. But um, I mean, I, ha- I I don't live there, so I really don't want to say I, I don't have the right to say I don't know. But the so it's like because of war that just brings people together, and that's the unity you're talking about. That's since October seventh. Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah. Since October 7th, but mm-hmm. even before that, there was, mm-hmm. there was a unity. It wasn't so blatant, it wasn't open and revealed mm-hmm. like today. I mean, the war starts. Uh, I've heard dozens and dozens of stories of Israelis after October 7th trying to get a plane to go to Israel right. as opposed to trying to leave. Right. Right? Um, people just dropped what they were doing and they're, you know, going through hoops just to get back to Israel, and there were no planes in the beginning, in the first few weeks or so, because it was just dangerous to fly there. So, uh, but even before that, even before, I mean, like I said, it's growing up with my kids and my neighbors and their kids, it was just like a very large family. So it was a, there was a lot of unity there. So, you know, just, um, I'm not... Um you know, super familiar with like uh, Ju- Judaism or just being a, a Jewish person and so forth. So I'm just, you know, I was just kind of wondering about that. Like, what makes a Jewish person a Jewish person? I mean, why the unity and so forth? And I guess what I mean is, um, 
like let's say someone comes from Italy and they come into to America, and uh, then you would say, oh yeah, their uh, their kind of background is Italian or something, but you wouldn't call them Italian anymore, you know. But um, with a Jewish person who comes from Israel, we you know you'd say, well, this person is Jewish or that person is Jewish, and you can maybe tell by their last names sometimes. But you could tell that if they come from Italy too, for example. But I know there's, but there's also like, not just the country, there's also like a religion that goes with it. So I guess that is another thing. But a lot of Jewish people are not religious, you know. So um, I guess, like, do you have any thoughts about like, just being a Jewish person and that unity and how it might be different than like from any other country and, and so forth? That's a good question and a little difficult to answer, <laughs> but I'll try my best. Um, again, this is my take, my understanding, right? I'm mm -hmm. not a representative. I'm no rabbi. Sure. I'm no nothing, right? Mm -hmm. But this is my take, my understanding and based upon what I've learned. The Jewish people, and it has, it's really not the orthodox, not orthodox, the, the religion or not the religion. I mean, in Israel, I, I, I don't know the exact number, but like 70% is not religious. Hmm. Okay. Right? I mean, right. let's put it in a large, the main majority is not religious. Hmm. Okay. Right? But as Jewish people, we believe and we feel that what connects us is our soul, right? Um, Americans, so, for example, what connects them together, in a way, is that they were born in America, they swore allegiance to America, right? They just live here, right? Mm -hmm. But um, if something happens, if you, like we're in St. Louis, Missouri, something happens in Alaska, who are Americans, right? Mm -hmm. um, it, would, it would pique our interest. We'd be afraid maybe that calamity will come to, attack, to bother us here, but there's a distance, right? Mm -hmm. Disassociation to some extent. Um, the Jewish people were always connected. Always since we received the Torah uh, on Mount Sinai, we became a nation, a people. We are connected. Um, so if something happened like a few years ago in Mumbai, India, when there was a bomb in, in, in a synagogue there, right? It, it, it connected, it bothered everybody, all the Jewish people around the world. I mean, why, I mean, why should it bother me what happened in Bombay? I mean, mm -hmm. in, in Mumbai, I mean, not Bombay, Mumbai. I mean, why, why should it happen what happens in Brazil to a Jewish person there? We're connected. The best analogy that I've heard and I could give to that is you have these huge trees in California, these tall, tall trees. I think, uh, I forgot what they're called, the sycamore trees? No, not the sycamore oh, trees. Oh, redwood? Right, right. What is it called? Redwood? The redwood trees. Mm -hmm. They're huge and they're tall and they're tall. They've been around for what? Thousands of years, right? I mean, long you time, can, yeah. A real long time. So you'd say, what, 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 how do they, where did they get the strength? So they say, ah, they have, must have deep, deep roots. 
right? Makes sense. They have deep roots. But since technology developed, we could see underground, mm-hmm. right? They found out that the roots of these redwood trees are not deep mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. They go down for a few feet, and then they connect to one another. Mm-hmm. So basically what keeps the trees together is not the deep roots, but the connection mm-hmm. of the roots. Jewish people are different people. You have Ashkenazi groups who come from Europe. You have Sephardic groups who come from Spain, Italy, Morocco, so to speak. Yemen Jew groups. You have American Jews. You have all these different Jews. You have all different cultures. And everybody has their own culture. So on the outside, we're all different people. But our roots are connected. Hmm. Okay. I hope that sure. explains somewhat. Yeah, it's a very poetic explanation. <laughs> but I appreciate that. Um, okay. Yeah, it's just, it's just interesting to me that and I guess there would be a lot of places in um, the world where back in the 80s, it would feel safe just for kids to run. You know, I grew up in St. Louis City, and and um, so in this, I was in the, in the 70s. I was a kid, not very far from here. And my uh, parents, uh, I think I just roamed around quite a bit, you know, not like too far, but up and down my close neighborhood and so forth. It was kind of a different time than perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. maybe And maybe different than New York, too. New York would be a pretty, um, quite a transition from like where you're talking about and from a lot of different places. Um, so, and then you, you came to America through work. You were going on, going through a divorce at the time and... Um, do you still have, um, you know, pretty uh, close connections with people in Israel right now? Uh, yes, actually. Uh, interestingly enough, after the divorce, I got closer to my ex-wife. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. To some extent, to some many different levels, it was very, uh, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I have my parents. My my father passed away about a year ago, but my parents. We're living, still live there. My mother's still alive, thank God. She still lives there. My sister's there. I have a whole bunch of nieces and nephews. I have sons and daughters there. I have okay. grandchildren there. Wow. So, um, so I have my connections with with the family is is on and off, mm-hmm. right? Um, but like for example, my my mother, I speak every week. Mm-hmm. We have a video uh, through WhatsApp every week before Skype but then it became popular uh, other like Zoom and all these things became more popular since the COVID yeah. so uh, so every week we, we talk so um, so there there is a lot of connection there so have you always been religious an Orthodox Jew yes I was born with my beard no <laughs> uh, I, yes my, my parents are Orthodox Jews I was born Basically, that's kind of what I knew all my life, mm-hmm. right? Um, just like for your information, I don't like that label orthodox. Okay. Um, not that it's understandable that we're using it because it gives content, 
but um, labels really define it in a very, could be very negative, a very um, limited way. But, um, but, but I'll continue, I use it for the clarity of this. But yes, we were observant, we we're Torah observant growing right. up. And that's kind of what I mean by it, like someone who um, takes the Tanakh seriously. Right. Yeah, I, I know what you meant. Yeah, and that's why I, I and I, you know, I said yes, I am as observant, mm-hmm. orthodox as they say, um, uh, but in Israel, when we talk about in Israel, uh, we said most Jew, Jewish people they are not orthodox, definitely not orthodox, not, but I would say that most of them are traditionalists. Okay, they keep traditions, maybe not much. Okay. But they keep some traditions. It's not that they're total alien and have no concept. Mm-hmm. I would say most keep. For example, um, Yom Kippur, which is the holiest day of the year, Day of Atonement, it's a fast day. The airport is closed. Mm-hmm. There are no buses, there's no travel, there's no transportation, right? right? There's no public transportation on the Shabbat on the regular Saturday, right? Mm-hmm. Airport is still open, though. But, I mean, so, I'm saying there's many different traditions right. that go around. Right. And maybe it's similar to um, Easter and Christmas in the United States, where um, many people are not religious, but they still, but those are religious holidays, and they still observe them in their own right. way and so right. forth. Um, you, men- you mentioned... Yom Kippur, um, the Day of Atonement. So, um, what, um, and that's the most holiest day of the year in Judaism. So, what is that? Um, what, how, what's the roots of that, and what does it mean to you? Um, well, the roots of that is clearly is, is biblical. Mm-hmm. It's as clearly in in the Bible. I, I don't know the the verse. It's in Leviticus. But I don't, offhand, I don't remember exactly. But it's there, clearly. It's, it's a biblical thing. Um, and it's, it's known as, it says clearly, it's a day of atonement, right? Um, it's, it's a refresh, time to regroup yourself, to um, readjust yourself. It's a time... Um, to make a new version of yourself. It's very similar. I, mean, I would say very similar people, you know, like New Year's comes by, everybody wants to make new resolutions and that start a new, and it's just a, t- it's a time of freshness. So that's, and to me personally, I mean, uh, I, I always enjoyed, believe it or not, personally, I always enjoyed, even though it's a 25-hour fast day, no food, no drinks, no nothing. And when you have small children, you still got to feed them and you're dealing with food for them, right? So, uh, but I, uh, I, I find it very cleansing, very uplifting, and uh, it, it gives you really the, the courage, the inspiration to, to continue. Okay. So, um, when I... Um talk with people about like the the Christian Bible, like the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament together, the way I kind of describe it to them, um, 
is like, I, I, I say, well, I think the Hebrew Bible is trying to really make the case that we've failed and are in need of a rescuer. Because um, you, you start with the first man and woman in the garden, and what do you have? You have a failure, and then, you know, they fall. And then you have their kids, and one kills the other. And then you got, like, kind of, well, you, keep, you know, this thing, and then God destroys the world. I mean, like, it's a big failure. And then, um, you know, you got these great people, for example, King David. <laughs> um, but then, you know, he sins with Beth. Sheba, and it's like, um, and then the, the nation of Israel too, um, God sends them the prophets and warns them, but you know, it's just to captivity and failure, you know. And from a Christian perspective, that sets the stage for uh, Jesus that we consider like the one who comes and rescues, but um. So that's how we make sense of atonement. Um, but um, I guess um, like that, um, that way I'm kind of describing the Hebrew scriptures as like cycle, cycle, cycle of failure, failure, failure. Um, and does that like fit with your way of thinking about it at all? If you're just thinking about it like in a big, broad way, or if you're thinking of it in a big, broad way, kind of what what are your thoughts, and how are they different than that if if they are different? <laughs> well, hmm. <laughs> well, first of all, if you want to look at any character in the Bible, they're flawed. I'm talking about any character. Pick a character, I'll show you where it says that they're flawed. I mean, Moses made a mistake. Aaron made a mistake. I mean, who's our greatest prophet if not Moses? The Bible is not afraid of people making mistakes. The Bible does not want perfect people. If God wanted perfect people, he would just, when he created the angels, he would stay that way. And that's it. The angels are perfect. God's not interested in perfect people. By the way, perfect is boring. It's not exciting at all. Perfect people are not for this world. We're not made perfect. We're not expected to be perfect. This is, again, the Jewish perspective, right? So we have no problem showing our great, greatest leaders and their faults. Why? Because they're human. God created the human with a mixture of good and evil. Evil is a creation of God, just like good is a creation of God. It says clearly in the Bible. Okay, so is that making God like the author of evil? Like, so um, saying he's the creator of evil, like I kind of push back against that. It's like I, I can see how he, um, you would say, well, he gives a place where evil can be chosen or something like that. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Um, so, put it this way. God creates... A person needs to struggle for growth. If you do any exercise, you need some resistance. If you're picking up weights, why do you get muscles because you pick up weights? There's a resistance. Mm -hmm. 
resistance gives us our strength, right? If I need to grow to become a better version than what I was last year, right? I need a resistance. That is evil. That's darkness. Darkness in itself, what is darkness? It's nothing in reality. In essence, darkness is something. Turn on the light, it's gone, mm-hmm. right? It's not an essence. It's not in itself. So that is how we view what we call the Yetzirah, the evil inclination or evil, right? Mm-hmm. Evil in itself, ha- that, that's his mission. His mission is it's like gravity, right? You, you, we need gravity to keep us grounded. When we have, uh, like, you're swimming, so the resistance of the water gives you, gives you the muscles. So I need to grow. I need to be a better version of myself, right? How do I do that? Because of resistance. It's like a kid, a baby, starting to learn how to walk. So he learns how to walk. How do they learn how to walk? By falling. Mm-hmm. The falling is part, it's not an outcome because you try to walk. Don't walk, you won't fall, right? You can't, get, you can't fall if you're lying down on the ground, right? But by walking, you fall. By falling, you learn how to walk. It goes hand in hand. Two, you walk without falling. Mm-hmm. So we all have our personal demons, quote unquote, right? That we're born with these inequities, imperfections, so to speak, right? My imperfection is not yours. Yours is not mine. Why? Because I have my own journey in my life, which I have to work on. So my imperfections, I mean, I look at throughout my life, I see what my imperfections has done for me. In a way, it caused me great harm. But at the same time, it gave me a, a huge growth, mm-hmm. right? Because how I addressed that, right? So, so we have no we have no problems with with people having negative faults, right? Mm-hmm. King David, by the way, David, my name, I'm named after King David, mm-hmm. right? It's not just the name of an uncle of a cousin. I was named after King David. At least that's what my father said. Maybe he said I should feel good. I don't know, but but. He, he had his faults, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. I look, at, look in any chapter in the Psalms. Psalms is what? Full of, oh, I'm suffering, I'm suffering, this is problem, this problem. But God is my Savior. He's going to help me get out of it. Mm-hmm. Right? Why? I mean, don't suffer, and don't get, you know, I don't, want, I don't want your suffering, and I don't want the growth. But then you won't have any growth if you don't have the suffering. You don't, we need that for the growth. So, you mentioned Messiah. In the Jewish perspective, Messiah is not coming for the Jewish people only. Messiah is coming for the world. And when Messiah comes in the Jewish perspective, is not that you should be Jewish. We have no problem that you're not Jewish. Mm-hmm. You could be Christian, you could be Muslim, you could be atheist. We don't care what you are. That's not the issue. The issue is that the, the ultimate goal of this world is that everybody should recognize God through their eyes. I don't want you to believe God through my eyes. I want you to believe God through your lenses. You have to see God. You have to experience God. And 
obviously when you experience God properly, you have peace. Because God is love. If you don't, if you say I believe in God, but you don't have the love, that means you're not seeing it with the, with the whole picture. Right? So when we say that Messiah is coming, at least in the Jewish ideology, is that there'll be peace in the world, as it says on the UN building, right? Right? The plowsheds will turn, you know, the oh, yeah. swords will turn into plowsheds and all that. Sure. Isaiah, right? What does that mean? I mean, when we're all full of love, there's no room for hate. There's no room for war, right? I have no problem that there's an Arab neighbor. I have no problem. I have no problem that there's a Christian neighbor. To me, it's not a contradiction to my beliefs. Okay. You mentioned yesterday that you um, have spent seven years in prison. So um, why don't we go there and just tell me about well, you know what happened and uh, and just what came out of that. And in two thousand seven, uh, I I committed a crime which I would not prefer not to elaborate. Okay, because that's a, not necessary. And um, it, it was very. Um, it wasn't a one. T- it wasn't that I committed a crime then, right? It was a way of my thought process throughout my whole life. Right, and um, and I never addressed it. I never addressed it, and my 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 personal demons, my personal problems, cause had many manifested many different ways: low self esteem, um, um, uh, different different uh, entitlements, so to speak, different ways like that. So it manifested in many many things, and I never addressed it. I never addressed it. Um, back in the 80s and the 90s, it wasn't a normal thing to go to see a therapist. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the thing like today that everybody, hey, everybody goes to a therapist. It's nothing, it's normal, right? Mm-hmm. It's nothing wrong, right? Just like you go to a physical doctor, you go to a spiritual doctor, a mental doctor. There's no, no difference. But then it was, it was kind of frowned upon. So you know, it, didn't come, it, wasn't, it didn't come to my mind that I need to, to address it. And this issue caused problems in the marriage, and that's why came to the divorce. Yeah. I moved to America, hopefully to work and send money back to Israel to help with the support of the family. But again, I never addressed my issues. Um, and after committing, it was a sexual-related crime, and after committing, um, I committed the crime, and I was... Um, charged and went to prison for seven years and for me that was the most the biggest blessing in my life that I went to prison and um, and at that time it was so transformative prison for me right I finally for the first time in my life I addressed my issues I looked at it I saw where they were coming from I, I saw where it's going um, I saw its control over my life, this, these addictions, these um, um, thoughts and feelings. And if we would have this podcast in 2006, you'd be talking to a totally different person. I'm, I'm talking about not just different, 
but totally different, right? Um, is that I was observant then. I was religious then. I did whatever I can do then. At that time also wasn't uh, outwardly, I'm not that much different, right? But inwardly, the my self-awareness um, is literally, is like two different people, hmm. literally. Mm-hmm. And I'm thankful uh, for God for, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I mean, it's, it's really, truly, sad and it hurts that I had to hurt people. I mean, I have victims, I have secondary victims, which means people, my family, my kids, my my siblings, my nephews, my whole family, friends who knew me, right? So, you know, they were, they were, they were hurt by, the, by my actions, indirectly, but they were hurt. Well, I should say directly, but, right, not in first person, right? So, so I, I, it's really, I mean, it's a real pity. And it's really wrong and it's really sad that I had to do that, commit the crime, get charged, go to prison in order to get to the self-awareness. And, but that was my journey. That was my journey. And I really, um, and, and till today, I, I'm, I'm struggling with that. The fact that I've hurt people, and I mean, from my perspective, from my situation, my place in life now, you know, I'm, I'm in a way, I'm really happy where I'm at, but at the same time, it. It tears me up knowing that I left somebody in the gutter, so to speak. I ruined some people's lives. Um, some of my kids don't talk to me because of it. Um, I have a brother that doesn't talk to me. Um, even though my brother, I have one brother that talks to me, but his, his children don't talk to me. Um, uh, there are many marriages in the family. I was not invited. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, in fact, my daughter got married and my name was on an invitation. Like, you know, like it's customary to put the mother, the father, the grandparents, all. My name was not in the invitation. Mm-hmm. Was not on the invitation. Um, my, grand, my brother's granddaughter got married and they sent me an invitation. Mm-hmm. I was like, like well, this is like about a few months ago. And I was like so surprised that that was the first invitation that I got since I got out of prison. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were many marriages in between, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, I was like, so a lot of healing needs to be done. There's no question about it. And it's not, I can't, it's not up to me, obviously. I, I have to, I could only control what I can control, which is myself. And pray to God that to instill healing in their hearts. Um, it's, it's, it's not easy, this contradiction, going through life like that. And, uh, and I, I, I don't know what to do other than what I'm doing already. Mm-hmm. So you've mentioned that you're a, a totally black and white different person than like before and that prison made the difference. And... Um, 
what is it about prison that made the difference? Is it like just the exposing of everything? Is that what makes the difference? Or is it um, something that happened in prison? Or like what brought about this change in you to make you like a, a different person? Well, that is that is a very good question. In fact, uh, I'm not advocating that everybody should go to prison to right. change, right? Mm -hmm. But there are two aspects that made that contributed to the change. One, what you just said, the exposure mm -hmm. that I had to face my my personal demons. But the other aspect, which everybody can do without going to prison, <laughs> and everybody should do, regardless whatever, is I had time to think. Mm -hmm. Right, right, and and this is what everybody should do. They should sit down at the end of the day and think, how did my day go? What did my day do? How did I contribute to society? Did I fulfill my personal capabilities? Right, you know, we all look at our phones to see how much, um, how much uh, percentage juice it has right mm -hmm. is it is it charged up or not right before you go out to to a, to a drive to a small trip you make sure you're charged 100% right so how was your day did you fulfill your potential 100% 90% 40% right mm -hmm. we in our busy days of life we don't have time for that and even sometimes when we do sit down and think we just think like oh, okay okay that was it right but when you take a good thinking, you sit down, turn off the phone, or close yourself in a room, and just meditate and think about yourself, about your life, what you did, what you contributed so far, how much you did, how much you could do. There was this rabbi, his name was Reb Zusha. He lived in the 1700s. So he was a very saintly person. And on his, he's about, he was on his deathbed and he was crying. And his students said, what are you crying? You're such a saintly man. And he said, his name was Zusha, right? So he said, when I go to heaven, they're not going to ask, why wasn't I like Moses? Why wasn't like Aaron? Why wasn't like the King David? They're going to ask, why wasn't I Zusha? Mm -hmm. Why I gave you all these talents. God gave us all these talents. Did we use it or misuse it? Mm -hmm. I, for years and years, misused my talents. Because, like you, you said earlier, there's really no evil in a way. There's really no evil, meaning like gluttony, for example. I mean, that's wrong. That's not good, right? Not healthy, right? To some, it's a sin, to gluttonous. But eating is not wrong. Right. We're just misusing it, mm -hmm. Right? Being healthy is not wrong, it's good. But when people overdo it, right, and then they mistreat their bodies, that's really wrong, mm -hmm. right? So, it, it, like a famous saying, guns don't kill, people kill, right? Mm -hmm. right? Anyway, in a way, that's true. The gun has no um, idea what he's doing, right? We all have our tendencies, right? Whether it's, whatever it is, it's inherently it's not bad it just has to be used in the proper way right like i've heard it said that um 
evil is not like an original thing. It's rather just a per per perversion of something else. It's not like a thing on its own, so to speak. But some, I think the way in the Bible refer, uses the word evil, a lot of times it uses in a way to mean destruction. Like God, um, in that way, he does evil in the sense that he might he brought the flood about, you know. But um, what about? Um, can so, I just can I sure. just just put just one second? You said evil. Yeah. In Hebrew, the word bad or evil is ra, resh ayin, mm -hmm. right? Bad, evil. Flip the letters around. The word ayin resh is awakening, awareness. In, so basically what you just said evil in itself has not, is really nothing it just has to awaken and then we just it's, it's like darkness darkness mm -hmm. is not a substance right turn a light on and mm -hmm. so I guess I came to like some kind of awareness when I was 18 in just um, looking thinking of myself as morally disgusting you know, and um, I, I grew up in church and so forth, but I don't know how much I was thinking about any of that at that point, but I did, you know, call out to God for, um, to rescue me from uh, what I had become. You know, it's like, I kind of, I felt like, um, you know, I just progressed to this point and someone has, to, you know, God take me and do something with me because of of me and just you know it was like out of my hands just i couldn't do it and i experienced um it seems like an encounter with god and just cleansing and forgiveness and just feeling as light as a feather and it was like um you know so i knew i was forgiven and cleansed and so forth um i don't know like if I was just there in my guilt and just, and the answer was do, do it better, um, um, recognize where you are, but just improve. And, and you know, I don't know if I would have, that doesn't sound very encouraging to me. Like if I, it, there would have been much hope for me, you know, <laughs> but it sounds a little bit, um, like that, um, or is there a play, like the way you're you're talking about it, or am I missing something? Is there, um, you know, what do you do with guilt? Um, you know, we kind of think of um, as uh, sin, like a, a trap, like empowered by it that we have to be freed from it. Um, do you? Do you all have that concept, or you have, what do you do with guilt? I suppose. I guess that's what I'm asking. Okay, that that that's a me personally. That's a very tough topic, guilt. Um, since my concentration, I've been feel guilty. Now, there's a difference between remorse and guilt. Remorse is active. Okay, I got to do something about it. And mm -hmm. guilt 
is inactive. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Um, guilt leads to depression. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not saying um, clinical depression, even. Right. I'm just even. You know, it may lead to clinical depression, but I'm saying even stuff. You know, just regular. You know, depressed. You know, a person is depressed, and that is what inaction. When someone's depressed, you get into these bad moods. Right. That's guilt. Um, sin, according in Jewish thought, the place for sin. It, it, I, there's a beautiful saying that um, I read. I remember in the early, long, long time ago, a nice quote: "Is the difference between stumbling blocks and stepping stones." is how you use them. Mm -hmm. Meaning, they're both the same. A stumbling block or a stepping stone. Just how do you view it, right? Mm -hmm. What is sin, right? What, give, give me an example of a sin, right? So a simple example is gossip. Let's say gossiping. Mm -hmm. Someone loves to gossip. Talks and talks and talks. It's wrong to gossip, but is speech wrong? No, you're just misusing it. Mm -hmm. So what you have to do is you have to take the that inborn talent that you that that person has of that gossiper, which is speech, and just transform it and give talks, good talks, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and and that that's how that's how a person should view sin. It's when someone sins, it's not that oh no, I sinned, I sinned, I sinned, no. What did you sin? Look at it. God is telling you, you need to fix that. Not that you should start saying, oh, I'm so bad, I'm so terrible. Right? It's a shortcoming. What is shortcoming? Short mm -hmm. coming. You come to this. Right, right now it's short. Right? So if, if, you, if you're shortcoming, I mean, you said at 18 years old. I mean, I wish at 18 years old I would have thought that. Um... <laughs> Our, I, I think religious people, the problem with religious people, right, that like I had, that like you had, that be told you had that, is that we do all the rituals, but we don't live it. It's not part of us. It's an external thing, right? right? You go, you get up, you make your bed, right? That's a normal thing, right? You don't think. You brush your teeth. Normal, right? You don't think. You're not living it. It's not part of you. It's just a ritual. Right, I I make the bed, brush my teeth, go to the bathroom, wash my hands, pray, read the Bible, do the go to work. You understand? It's all ritual ritualistic. It's not a life, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't define you, and that's where these awakenings come up. And when you were 18 years old, when you were when you were saying that, you said, "Where's this leading me? Why?" I mean, you're doing everything right, so to speak. You didn't feel it. You felt empty. And that is to awaken you. Hey, start living it. Don't just... It's not... Um, in Hebrew we say, from your mouth outwards. It's not lip service. That's English equivalent. Live it. And sometimes you need to fall down to wake yourself up. It says in the verse in Proverbs, I think it's Proverbs, Seven times the righteous fall 
and get up. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's exact quote in English, but in Hebrew, it's sheva pamimi pol vekam, right? Seven times. What does that mean? Seven times, not six, not eight. It's just a figure of speech, meaning many times, mm-hmm. right? Many times you fall, and that's fine. Falling is not a problem. It's good to fall, as long as you get up mm-hmm. after the fall. Nothing wrong with sin, unless you stay at, in your sin. But if you use it as a springboard, and that propels you to do be a better person, so that so what what so what is your motivator? Actually, is was the sin in a way. So that negative is not only you're turning on the lights and disappears, that negative actually propelled you to do to be a better person. Propelled me to look to God. Yeah, yeah, to, right. For to, rescue, me. For rescue. For forgiveness. For forgiveness, to be a better person, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Whatever you need to be propelled for, right? Mm-hmm. Um, at work or any encounter with somebody, did anybody like at one time tell you, hey, Will, you didn't do a good job here. So, so what was your response? Oh, maybe, no. You were saying, oh, thank you for letting me know. I hope that was your response, right? Right. Thank you mm-hmm. for letting me know. Now I'll be more aware. Mm-hmm. Right. Your awareness made you what? Do better job next time. Mm-hmm. So, what's God's part? For example, I'm thinking of Psalm 51, um, where it's... Um, have mercy on me, O God, um, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, something along those lines. You know, against you, you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So he's like wretched, um, but then he, and he wants God to remove that from him, and uh, he's purged me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Um, so he's wanting like something active, on, from God to do something in him, to purge him, make him clean. And he says, and I shall be as white as snow. And then he says, you know, create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. So um, what is your, what is God's active part from the Jewish perspective or your perspective? Because it, it sounds like um, what I'm hearing is that it's well, we were you know we're given the the Bible, but it's then just us up to us to be self-aware to make these changes and so forth. Whereas, like in Psalm 51, it sounds like God has a very active role for the cleansing, the purging, and then the putting in the new heart, the right spirit, and and so forth. Hmm. <laughs> I'm not God, so I can't speak for that. <laughs> um, ask him. Uh, another saying, God is a co-author of our destiny. Meaning, I have free choice. We mm-hmm. People have freedom of choice. That's the whole purpose of life here, is a freedom of choice, to some extent, Right? Of course, some would say and argue that that's an illusion also, but let's not go there. There's a freedom of choice, the basic. 
every new version of yourself, right, you grow. And hopefully, your understanding grows with you. So when you understand, your understanding of your sin is at a different level. The depth of your um, wrongness is deepened. Right? Um, if you, you you stole a cookie from you st- you, st- you you did a little uh, you snacked some sna- uh, snacks from a store as a kid, for example, right? So then you didn't think you, know, you didn't think much of it. But as you grow older and you're a storekeeper and you understand the mor- the morals of life, how bad that was, right? So as we grow, our recognition and understanding of our shortcomings and our the de- the wrong things that we've done deepens. So now. I need to ask forgiveness again on a different level, mm-hmm. right? I'm asking because God is involved in every aspect of our lives. God did not create the world and went on vacation. He's actively involved in every person's life. Not only that, he's actively involved in every creature. Every aspect, nothing happens by chance. Right? The Talmud says that every blade of grass is told, grow, grow, grow. It's just mm-hmm. an example. Mm-hmm. So every, there's, there's nothing without God's direct intervention. We don't see it. We don't recognize it. But that's our shortcomings. That's because we're, our eyes are cloudy. Right? So I'm, I'm asking God for help to become a better person. I don't sit back and fold my arms and say, okay, when's it happening? No, you get to actually do it, right? He's there to help you. He's there to direct you. For example, you said that you asked when you were 18 years old, right? You asked for clearing, for cleanses. And what, what was that what you said? You felt light. Mm-hmm. That's the new spirit that God gave you. Why? You reached out to him. God was reciprocating. He's reaching out to you, right? It's, it's an ongoing process. We have to do our part. He does his part. That's, um, that, that's how I see it, and that's how I, um, I, I grew up. And actually, I saw in prison, God with me day in and day out in amazing... I'm talking about small small things which you'd think you'd laugh at when I tell you yeah but that was the hand of God that helped me there and I saw that God there also I mean talk about a pencil a pen right? I'll give you an example a story well, now before prison you go to jail till you get sentenced mm-hmm. so believe it or not jail is much more strict than prison limitations mm-hmm. right and in the prison in the jail sorry in the jail you you were not allowed to have a pen, a regular pen, because you may stab somebody with it, mm-hmm. right? But, I mean, it was during the time that they changed the rule when I was there. But if you had it, you could keep it. Hmm. But they sold these flimsy plastic pens, mm-hmm. which were like about maybe f- four inches long. Go try to write with that flimsy. It was really bad. I mean, it, I, and I did a lot of writing then. I was writing and writing and writing. 
And so it was very important that I had a good pen. Mm -hmm. I was trying to go to this course that they were giving. I signed up for this course because I wanted to get out of my cell. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? And for two months, didn't hear anything. Two months later, I was told, hey, come to your, your, your course is starting today. Mm -hmm. Okay. In the morning, uh, it was supposed to be after lunch, the course. At that morning, what happens? My pen died, finished. All the ink was gone. Mm -hmm. So now I got to buy that crappy pen. And, and that was like impossible to use that, their pen. So, okay. What can I do? That's the way it is. In the afternoon, I go to my course. And guess what? They give out pens. <laughs> mm -hmm. The course had nothing to do with me. It was irrelevant. I thought it was. But it was my mistake. But, so I never continued the course. But mm -hmm. I had my pen. Correct. Right. Now, if that course would have been the day before, mm -hmm. just the day before when my pen was, I would have not have taken the pen because I don't want to be caught with two pens. You do not want that, right? Hmm. Right. Right. When they do cell checks, you don't want to be bought with, because then you'll be uh, accused of, of accumulating stuff and selling stuff and who knows what. We don't want that. So I would have not have taken, if it was the day before, I would have not have taken the pen. Mm -hmm. It was that same day of the course, which had nothing to do with me mm -hmm. at the end, but I had a pen. Right. So th that's just a simple, small thing I saw it as yes, God is looking out for me, even here in prison. Mm -hmm. um, well, here's just uh, a couple th thoughts, just questions I want to ask here before we kind of wrap things up. But have you read the New Testament before? Uh, just here and there, I had friends in, in prison, in, uh, Christian friends, and we would, they would like to show me things, and now they wanted to see the equivalent in the Bible. So yeah, but not, not on an actual right. study. Yeah. Um, well, I was going to ask you, like, what, you know, what's the Jewish perspective of Jesus in the New Testament, but maybe you would you're not super familiar with it you know so i don't know if i you know do you have any well that that has nothing to do with the new testament knowing okay. the new testament um, um as jewish perspective right we i mean it's actually believe it or not there's different opinions whether mm -hmm. there was a person or not mm -hmm. right but most say that jesus was a person we do not as a, as a jewish person based upon the Torah, Orthodox, said for sure, we there's no credence. We don't we don't um, uh, we don't attribute any any of the what's common for the Christian to attribute to to Jesus. Right. Whether he did miracles, he didn't do miracles. That's irrelevant. Mm -hmm. I mean, he could have done, could have not done. That that sure. doesn't doesn't um, make him any different than. But Messiah, from the Messiah perspective, for sure not. Okay. Well, I mean, that's not. Um, we believe that Messiah, in our tradition, in our understanding, that Messiah is a human being, mm -hmm. born from a regular person, mother and father, and must be the lineage of from King David. And talk about from the father to father, because lineage in Jewish by tribes go by the father not by the mother 
okay. which is interesting because Jewishness goes by the mother, not by the father. Hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. If the mother is Jewish, then the, the child is Jewish. Mm-hmm. The father, but if the father is Jewish, but the mother is not, then the, fa- mo- the child is not Jewish, hmm. according to the tradition. Right? So, and, and, and anybody could be the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, I mean, I, I, I'm positive I'm not. There's no question about it. There's no question about it. But um, there are criterias what the Messiah needs to be. Obviously, God fearing and all the all these different things. But the basic is he has to come from the house of David. Mm-hmm. And true, Jesus is in the first right in the New Testament right in the beginning. They start the genealogy. Mm-hmm. But in that genealogy, by the way, it only goes up to the mother. Mm-hmm. Not the father. Okay. Um, Would well, be interesting if you ever wanted to read the New Testament. It'd be interesting just to know what impression it made on you, um, or if you just wanted to read one book of it. I'd love to just get together with you again and just see what your impressions of it of it is. You know. Um. I- I have no, like I said, I had many discussions with with many different people in in, in, in during my time. We had time, so we had so we spent, and it was always, and I must say, it was always very respectful. We had right. talks. It was always very respectful. They were not trying to convert me. I wasn't trying to convert them. Sure, they were just general, genuinely interested right. in 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 the Jewish perspective. So we would sit down and they would quote passages from the New Testament and they would want to know what is the Jewish perspective of that right okay. I, I never have problems with that but right. to sit down to learn a whole book I mean like I said or just to read it and, and just uh, have a discussion your, right, have a have discussion, discussion right. and I, have, I have no problems with that never yeah. I never had a problem with that yeah. and uh, as, as long as the the uh, People involved understand that's not trying to convince one or the other. Right. It's but it is kind of um, to um, not convince as in like a salesman, but it's but more of like um, what do you think about this? Right, a perspective like, to get a, a, a different perspective. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's not. There's no nothing wrong with that. I, yeah. uh, why not? A perspective to understand a perspective this is is always good right <laughs> um, so I, just two more questions one is um, what's your uh, do you have any f- particular favorite passage from the Hebrew Bible that you would like to mention just something that means a lot to you oh that that that's a tough one and I, I'll tell you why that's a tough one because um I, I think I have many different passages and they come at different times. Right. Because what works for me today, there's, there's a famous saying by Babe Ruth, uh-huh. which I, it, it is so apropos, right? Today's, yesterday's home runs don't win today's games. Right. <laughs> what does that mean in, in life, how we can implement life? What was good for yesterday was good for yesterday. Mm-hmm. What God wanted me from yesterday, that was for yesterday. In fact, this is what we learned from the Hanukkah lights. Every day we light a new candle, an additional candle. 
what was good yesterday was good for yesterday. Right. Right? I mean, you ate breakfast yesterday, did not stop you from eating breakfast today. Right. Right? So what works for yesterday will not necessarily work for me today. So a saying that helped me yesterday will not necessarily help me today. Okay. Right? So here is a saying that helped me in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not from the Bible. It's from the Talmud, by the way. Okay. Um, and I, I, I look at it throughout my whole, every day, almost, hmm. in a way. In Hebrew, it would be, kol yom avid avidite. Every day has its mission. Hmm. Okay. It's basically meaning, was yesterday was good for yesterday, was what we were just saying. Mm-hmm. Today, you know, like, you know, people think that, oh, this is my mission in life. What do you mean? Do you know what God wants you to do tomorrow? You don't know, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, when you're driving here, we finished the podcast. You're going to drive home, right? Mm-hmm. Do you know what God wants for you on the way home? Maybe to stop by that guy whose car broke down and help him. You know, mm-hmm. we don't know what, ha- what God has for us to do, but we just have to understand that we have to be open to understand that Every, every day has its mission, has its purpose. And then one other thing, what would you like Christians to understand about Judaism that they may not, like, is there anything that's kind of frustrating, like, you just feel like, what well, they just, Christians just don't get this about being a Jew or Judaism or anything. If, if there's anything that comes to mind, here's... You know, I'd like to hear if there's if there's not, that's fine too. But I just thought I would ask. Well, actually, I have two things that come to mind when you okay. ask that question. <laughs> um, a Jewish person, like we said early in the podcast, actually, I said much much earlier, I said it's a soul thing, mm-hmm. right? We're connected by the soul, and and that's why I would say, and obviously you can't see the soul. Right, but that's why maybe many Christians and maybe non-Jews in general, right, don't realize that when they try to over the centuries try to convert Jewish people, ninety-nine percent was without success because it is um, it, it, it's not an ideology, right? It doesn't come from ideology that a person's Jewish. Because they have many non, many not religious people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and people don't understand that. They say, "Oh, I'll prove it to you. This I'll prove you black." It doesn't make a difference. It's above logic. It's above nature. It has to do with the soul. We're born with it innately. It's 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 just like you have within you your DNA of your parents, right? You didn't work for it. You didn't think about it. It's there innate. It, it's part of you. It's who you are, right? Obviously, you have your own part of it, but your DNA is based upon your parents' DNA, based upon their... Same thing. There's what's called... I mean, I'm just using this as an analogy. There's a Jewish DNA, right? So, as we, we say, a Jew is a Jew is a Jew. Even if a Jew converts in, from our perspective... A Jew would first convert to Christianity or to Islam. It doesn't make a difference. He, we consider him still a Jewish person. So he would be like a 
Jewish Christian. Exactly. Right. And and being a Jewish Christian, then he's he's he'll he won't be satisfied. Because no person is satisfied by being what they're not. Right? If you, since you're not Jewish, right, and you tell me, okay, um, I, I would tell you, you don't have to be Jewish to be perfect, to be complete, whole. You don't. You have to be you. So if, so, if you're going to try to be me, as they say, um, everybody, everybody's born original. Don't die a copy. Mm-hmm. Right? Be yourself. Be the best version of yourself. And that's only then will you be truly happy with yourself. And there was this other thing which sure. I want to say. Another thing which, is, um, another thing which uh, many people don't get is that the Torah has two parts. It's the written, the five books of Mm-hmm. Moses, what's known, and the Tanakh, the whole Tanakh, right? But let's just stick the five books of Moses, right? And the oral tradition. Mm-hmm. The oral tradition is just as important as the written, if not more. What is the oral tradition? When Moses went to Mount Sinai and got the tablets, the five and the five books of Moses, by the way, it was given with explanation. It's like, here's the car keys, but how do you drive? That'll explain to you how you drive in other lessons. Mm-hmm. The keys to the car is the five books of Moses. So say any, give me any commandment, any commandment, just what pops in your head, a commandment. Do not murder. Okay, right, do not murder. Um, actually, it's do not kill. Murder okay. is different, sure. right? Um. Well, it's not. Um, it. I mean, I'm thinking of like just war or um, capital uh, punishment. You're already getting to explanations. Where do we get these explanations? Can't you just say you have to be a pacifist? Do not kill. Do not murder. I mean, you understand what I'm trying to say? It came with explanations. Hmm. What does it mean by do not kill? We have an obligation. It was written. Moses explained. Here is the law. I'll give you a very famous misconception, right? Eye for an eye. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? I poke out your eye by accident or by purple, you poke out my eye? Never. Never in the history of Jewish law was ever taken literally. Mm-hmm. But what is it? Monetary. And this explains how to do that. Where did we, why not eye for an eye? It says clearly, right? Oral tradition. Moses explained. And this many people don't understand, many people who are not of the Jewish faith and don't learn Torah, don't understand that. It's like reading a book, an English book, without vowels. Mm -hmm. Can you? You can guess a few words, right? right? But you'll be stumped Mm -hmm. when it comes to a word like it. Is it it or is it at? Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, you can't without the vowel. Hebrew has no vowels. The Torah has no vowel. How do you read it? That's all tradition. You understand? So this is what I was trying to explain. That this many people don't realize that that it goes hand in hand, right? Oh, it says in the Bible though. Yeah, but the Bible is meaningless without the oral explanation. 
literally meaningless. Right? You, you can't understand one word in the Bible without the oral tradition. In the beginning, the first verse, what does it say? In the beginning, God made heaven and earth. By the way, that's a transla- explanation, by the way. If you want to read the Hebrew, it says, Bereshit, the beginning, made God heaven and earth. If you want to do it, mm-hmm. right? As a Hebrew, right? But no one reads it like that. Right? It, so you cannot, they go hand in hand. You cannot have the written without the oral. And this is what you asked about what I would like that Christians should know. Mm-hmm. And this is what I want. People think, they look at the Bible, oh, let me read the Bible. I like the Bible. And they read it and then they come up with all these weird explanations. You can't read the Bible and know the Bible. Impossible. It does make sense. It doesn't. You have to read it with commentary, with explanation, with tradition that was handed down. For David, <laughs> thank you. It's been, I really appreciate the, the time just to get to know you better and to get to know your thoughts. And It's really good. Okay. Thank you, Will. I appreciate it. Uh, I don't get out to meet people very often, so it was, a, it was an honor knowing you. You're um, I'm flattered that you wanted to talk with me and introduce me here. And I uh, wish you much success in your endeavors. As a person who does podcasts, you have a very important role. Well, thank you. You do. And it's, it, I mean, I won't be making podcasts because that's not my role. Mm-hmm. That's your role. You've been doing it for some time already. Mm-hmm. You reach out to people. So you, could, you have the opportunity to spread light, love, uh, friendship, right, unity, mm-hmm. in, in a way that most people don't have. So that's a huge opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I wish you much success in that. All right. Thanks, Tony. <laughs>